Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Every two years, Scholastic releases data from a national survey of kids and their families about reading. We ask them all kinds of questions. What do you like to read? How often do you read? Why do you read? Today, we'll be talking about some findings that were, well, concerning. Lauren Tarshis is the Senior Vice President and Editor-in-Chief of Scholastic Classroom Magazines. She's also the author of the best-selling I Survived series for 8- to 12-year-olds. She'll set the stage. You know, I think what was really interesting to me was that there was a sort of a paradox. The most striking and sad piece of information from the report was about what we're calling the decline by nine, the fact that right around third grade, there's this sort of precipitous drop in kids' attitudes about reading. They no longer perceive it as fun. At the same time, from all the work we've done in magazines and from all of the visits I've made to schools through I Survived, you see how important and wonderful that third grade threshold is where suddenly kids, unless they're really struggling, have mastered the basic skill of reading, and they can use that skill to open up all sorts of worlds for themselves, to connect to characters that they would never meet in real life, to ignite all sorts of sparks of curiosity that are going to lead them into their learning in this whole fabulous new phase of school in their lives. So the idea that right at this moment when you want kids to feel so exuberant about being able to read, their attitude would drastically change, that was very striking and concerning. I'm going to throw some stats at you so that you can get a sense of the shift. 57% of eight-year-olds say that they read books for fun five to seven days a week, but by age nine, that drops to a mere 35%. 40% of eight-year-olds say that they love to read, but by age nine, only 28% say that. Access to books also seems to drop off precipitously at age nine. 60% of six to eight-year-olds have access to a classroom library, but only 40% of nine to 11-year-olds say that they have one. To take it a step further, fewer nine-year-olds believe that they're surrounded by people who enjoy reading. The percentage drops 11 points from what six to eight-year-olds report, which may correspond to why nearly half of nine-year-olds say that they have trouble finding books they like. What's happening to our readers in third grade? Our chief academic officer, Michael Hagen, has some insight. What often happens is in the classroom for kindergarten, first and second grades, we have time for independent reading and we also have time for modeling that shared reading and modeling what it looks like to do a read aloud. And then once they get to the third grade, they actually don't come to the carpet anymore and sit around the teacher and and do the read aloud. It happens less. And the students now are reading because it's the book that was assigned by the teacher and reading less because it was a choice that they picked on their own. It has a lot to do with how the structure of the literacy block changes. In the lower grades, you have a longer literacy block where the teacher spends more time with the students in small groups. And when the students are in small groups with the teacher, the other students are doing what we call learning centers or 
working stations, and they oftentimes have time for independent reading. As they get into the older grades, that literacy block changes a little, and it goes more into English and less time for that independent reading. Unfortunately, studies show that when you look at a 90-minute literacy block, only about 12 minutes is spent on independent reading. We wanted to hear from teachers themselves about these findings. We asked third-grade teachers, does the decline by nine surprise you? Unfortunately, no. This does not surprise me. Here's Jamie Vandergraft, a third-grade teacher at Sarah Harp Minter Elementary in Fayetteville, Georgia. Well, as a third-grade teacher, my students range in age between eight and nine throughout the year. Many of my students, this year I have students who were born in August of 09 and August of 10, meaning I have one entire year of development in my room. And so what I see is there's a couple components to this nine-year-old age group. Eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds are obviously developmentally changing so quickly. And part of that development is that they are going from being students who are learning to read, understanding syntax, understanding decoding and piecing together words. And then now all of a sudden we've said, now you need to be able to read to learn. And once that hit developmentally, some kids are ready for that shift, but many developmentally aren't. And the struggle starts to ensue for us. So it's something I definitely see in the classroom, and I do believe it's because this is a very crucial developmental age. What else is going on in kids' lives at this age? What we have found, though, is that especially at this age, um, students are now involved in sports and activities after school. And we're finding that, it, you know, when, when I was young, you know, we would practice one day a week and have a game on the weekend. And now our students are practicing sports four and five days a week with games and tournaments all weekends. And students will come in and say, I didn't read last night because I was at football practice until, you know, nine o'clock. And, you know, those things I think are a huge hindrance. And you can't, you can't fault parents. Parents want their students to be, their children to be involved in activities. But we definitely encourage them to be finding a good series that they enjoy and something they look for. Parents just often, you know, come back with, you know, we just don't have the time. Now, you've alluded to the fact that there are increasing demands on a third grader. There are more demands than there were, let's say, for a child in first grade. I wondered, what do you see happening as children go from learning to read to reading to learn, in effect, and focusing on comprehension and the demands to retain knowledge? I think that we are, especially by this third grade year, we anticipate that they've come to us as readers. So um, one of the very first standards that we hit in August is one where students have to be able to analyze a character and how that character changes over time based on the plot. So how would the character, how, how is the character in one setting versus how does the character change based on being in another setting. And this is one of the very first standards we open the year with. And it's one that we granted teach the entire year, but it really is a very sharp turn into reading to learn because students have to not only be able to be able to to decode and read and understand what they read, and they have to have true comprehension of the text and be able to understand what they read. And then they have to be able to analyze the text, analyze the character, um, go back and reread and pull out pieces that will help define the character and find character traits and character actions. And there's so much that we build into 
just that one standard that students, I think, struggle a little bit more to come into the year and be able to see how a character changes over time based on, you know, the plot of the story, because there's so much more to it than just mastering a standard. They really have to be able to be strong readers who can analyze text in a way that it it makes sense and can be applied differently in their understanding. Kristen Cruikshank is a third grade teacher at Lamar Consolidated ISD in Richmond, Texas. She has also seen the pressures of third grade take a toll on once enthusiastic readers. There's a huge change and a shift once they get to third grade. You know, in kinder and first and second, their teachers are immersing them and read alouds every day and they're having conversations and they're just really you know, digging through text and just having authentic conversations. And then once they get to third grade in Texas, you know, now we're giving them a state test, which is five passages in third grade up to six passages in fourth grade. And the content and the presentation of the reading material changes. And now you're seeing it on a piece of paper. It's black and white text. There's not very many pictures The text is not very pretty, if you will. And you're asking them comprehension question after comprehension question, multiple choice questions. And you're really, in my opinion, burning a lot of these kids out because they're not getting those authentic reading experiences with books in their hands. When they're getting passages after passages, especially kids who are higher and your GT kids who want more of a challenge and they, they know these things and the questions that they're continuing to just get drilled and drilled and then you've got your lower kids who need more instruction. So you get to once in third grade, you get such a wide range of readers. I've got kids in my class now who are on a first grade reading level, all the way to kids who are up to a fourth grade reading level. So I'm required to, of course, meet the needs of everyone. So it just becomes very overwhelming. And then also you've got kids who are starting to realize, wow, I'm not such a great reader compared to some of my classmates. I'm trying really hard, but it's getting frustrating and a little year of frustration and, and just kind of working through those battles. I think kids become much more aware, which is so hard. And that's why we try to, you know, not tell any kind of kid, any kind of level of book or say you in my class, I don't tell them you have to pick between this range and this range. I do let them just completely choose. And naturally they, you know, realize, okay, this book might not be appropriate. And like I said, I try to guide them, but um, it just gets to be when it's not so easy to read anymore to some kids, and they start to realize that there are differences between the readers. And like you said, at this age, they're reading to learn, and so they're actually having to process the, the text much more deeper and give so much more thinking involved. It's, it's not so predictable like it's been in the past, and so they kind of either rise to the occasion or they kind of just say, okay, this is too hard, and, and I don't know that I'm ready for this, and then kind of shut down and back off. Oh, gosh, that is so sad. And it seems like a catch-22 here, because everyone wants to measure third grade is such an important barometer of how well a child is reading, and yet the overwhelming focus on the testing can really distract from the, the whole, the pure joy of reading. Absolutely. You know, and the kids know that they are being looked at for their score. The state testing is looking at comprehension. 
because unfortunately you have kids who are on two grade levels behind readers, one grade grade level behind readers, who can't even muddle hardly through the text to read it, and then they're receiving a score on comprehension, which you know that they weren't able to read the passage well, so you know that they're not able to comprehend and understand the questions and answers. And once you give tests like that to a kid multiple times, I mean, how defeating and how you know, how awful to have that feeling. So, of course, you just start to see reading as a negative and it's just not fun anymore. So what can we do about all of this? From Michael Hagen's perspective, reading role models are crucial. I think it's critical. I, I know that my love for reading came when I watched my grandfather and my dad read the paper every day and my mom would read every day. And so I wanted to be just like them. I wanted to read. And, and going to school, when your teacher did that read aloud and that book share, it's just you were energetic around a book. And so I don't know if we do more of that with the social media and our devices. We're actually probably doing less reading with traditional um, newspapers and magazines and books. And students don't have those role models as I think we may have had um, coming up. And so it's a challenge. Jamie agrees that modeling is important. Here are her tips for parents to help build strong readers. I would say find find a book and read with them and see if you can um, build an interest in a character or a series with them. And, you know, explore a lot of different things. Look for things they're interested in and make those connections Often we, as teachers, want to say graphic novels, you know, aren't the the type of literature we want our kids reading. But if we can still get our students engaged in graphic novels and they they're looking at at text and they're they're connecting with something, we're still building readers. I think it often is just a developmental pace that takes some time for that to really get to a point where students can say, you know, I'm ready to sit down with a chapter book and and engage. But if parents can get involved and read with students and really be have that time to show their kids that there's great things out there. But I also think modeling is important because I think when we as adults model that we are readers, our kids see that as well. So sitting down with your kid and reading or just modeling it for your kids is very important. You've hit on something so important. Why is it really crucial that kids be able to choose the books that they read and also to have access to a wide variety of books? Kristen? So choice is huge. Obviously, one of the biggest things that I try to push for my kids, relatable characters, relatable storylines and that relate to their lives. You know, unfortunately, a lot of libraries or even school libraries, it's hard to stay up to date with the most current books at all times. And so a lot of times you'll get kids who are pulling books and especially at a campus like mine that's very diverse, they are wanting to read more books that have, like I said, relatable characters and, and storylines and lives that are similar to theirs and, you know, matching them to their interest level, their content, things that they're really interested in. That just gives them that boost and that confidence to be able to want to read and to get into the book. We do a lot of book tastings where I pull different types of books, different genres of books, and then also on a wide range of reading level ability, you know, without telling them what level it is, of course, but just letting them, we say, taste, try out different books, you know, read the first chapter, see if you're interested and having those conversations about if you're not interested in a book, that's okay too, because as as an adult, I have books that I've 
tried to read and I'm, I'm not interested and that's okay. And I put it down and I try another one, but just getting them to really taste and experience different um, types of books to really pique their interest as well. Jamie, how about you? How have you seen choice affect your readers? We as a district have adopted a textbook series. It is one that I find is hard to really differentiate across, which is where StoryWorks Junior has become a humongous support. We've utilized it. We use our, our texts that we're required to use for a district in our whole group setting, but that small group setting really has been best served by StoryWorks Junior because I can take that text and really break that down based on the group that I'm seeing at that time and their developmental needs based on the text, whether that's looking at more of the decoding and understanding what they're reading, or are they really ready to dig in deep, be able to analyze the text, analyze the characters, see the big picture. And so we unfortunately aren't at a place where we've been given a whole lot of flexibility to be able to pull books off the shelf and teach with them, which has been made for a challenge. And I think maybe a little bit of the part of the decline, because we are somewhat stuck in in textbook series and taking away a little bit of that opportunity for teachers to grab a good series of a book and really read with students. Speaking of StoryWorks Junior, let's go back to Lauren Tarshish for a moment. In her role with Scholastic Classroom Magazines, Lauren has seen firsthand the importance of providing kids with choice in what they read and access to compelling stories. Kids, in many cases, have less choice about what they're going to read. I hate the word text, I hate the word passage, and I hate the word content, because what kids really want is stories. You know, they want articles. They want they want rich, exciting things to read. And I think for, for those of us in classroom magazines, we feel that the, the decline by nine statistic was a call to action, and really it's just amplifying what we already are doing, because the founding mission of magazines was to provide amazing stories that help kids understand themselves in the world. So that's what all of our magazines do. We have more than 20 magazines. We're the only educational publisher where we have teams of people who are writing all of our own stories, traveling around, hunting them down, lovingly creating these stories that are designed not just to build skills, although we have plenty of resources to do that, but to captivate them. Even more captivating stories, even funnier stories, even more interesting stories. As editors and writers, we want to create even more exciting stories. And I think just as a, as a community, as a society, we have to make sure that kids have access to those stories, whether they're in magazines or books, whether they're in print or in digital. That is so true. And that's what your magazines like StoryWorks and StoryWorks Jr. do incredibly well. Now, before we started recording, you shared some exciting news about a new magazine that's in the works for second grade readers. Could you tell us about that? StoryWorks is more than 20 years old. It's our multi-genre ELA magazine, and it's it's we have about a million kids reading it now. It's a big, big magazine for Scholastic, and teachers use it for everything from their entire ELA curriculum to their small groups, their independent reading. It's a vast, beautiful resource that not only has original stories across the genres, but also a very, a ro- very robust 
uh, digital portal that has videos and tons of support material and Lexiled stories, upper level, lower level, the whole thing, treasure trove, as we like to say. But we started getting a lot of teachers were, were eager to have it for third grade. And many were using the fourth, fifth grade edition for third grade just because they wanted engaging stories. So we launched StoryWorks Junior three years ago. We were thinking that people would like it, but we were completely unprepared for the huge success of it. I mean, now we're approaching a half a million subscribers, which is unheard of. It speaks to the voracious need that teachers have in third grade for highly engaging stories, just like we've been talking about. But at the same time now, even looking at this, the, our declined by nine data in the current reading report, even before I saw the data here, we were hearing from second grade teachers and third grade teachers that we need to grab the kids before third grade. That second grade is really where they're at risk, where they're about to make that shift. So what we want to do is grab hold of them by the shoulders and make them so excited about reading that they're going to just leap over the decline by nine. We are really determined to get into classrooms and, and teachers are asking for this. I mean, this is what this is all in response from the passion that we hear from teachers for great, original, exciting, authentic stories across the genre. All of us at Scholastic are dedicated to instilling a love of reading in children before third grade. Here's Dr. Danielle Dickey, author and consultant for Scholastic Literacy, to talk about a new comprehensive reading and writing curriculum for K through 6. Dr. Dickey, why is it so crucial to cultivate a love of reading in students before they reach third grade? I strongly believe that it is early literary experiences or early literacy experiences that serve as a sort of runway for children becoming adults who have a desire to read and to to learn more about the world around them. Being able to read on grade level is not the prerequisite of being able to think on grade level. And so when we wait to expose children to higher order thinking or instruction that is reflective of increased cognitive demand, we do children a disservice. So I think that while children are learning how to read, they should be also learning how to think based upon what was read to them. And so the the error is, and I hope that this conversation sheds light on that, is to think of K2 as segmented from 3-5. And so children should be learning to read and K2, but at the same time um, that they are learning to read, they should be reading to think, Right or learning how to use what they read or what was read to them to think at a higher level. And so kindergarten cannot be just about learning, you know, phonics. It has to be, okay, now you know some phonics. You know the rules, you know the rules change based upon what you've read, what did you understand? Now let me assess the extent to which you truly understood it by prompting you to respond to questions that are reflective of a diversity of cognitive demand. So the issue is waiting to the end of grade two. It should be happening in kinder first and second. So you're a scholastic literacy author and consultant. Tell us about this program and what it seeks to do. Can I start by telling you what it isn't? It isn't a script because when we give teachers a script, we actually disrespect them. And we tell them we don't trust them enough to do what's in the best interest of children in real time. We're telling them that the script knows more than they do. And it doesn't because the script does not know those individual children. It is not a set of disjointed resources. 
Instead, it is a one-stop shop for everything teachers need to get children not only to the grade level arbitrary expectation, but beyond. And so it is not designed to keep children at a certain level or get them to a certain level. It's designed to open up the world of reading so that they can go wherever their minds can take them. Teachers spend their weekends, their evenings, trying to put together lesson plans. And so scholastic literacy is a set of lesson progressions. And lesson progression different than a daily lesson plan. Daily lesson plan says, okay, I'm going to teach this today. Well, guess what's going to happen? The bell's going to ring. There's going to be a fire alarm. There's going to be a field trip. And so scholastic literacy is built upon this idea of lesson progression so that you simply pick up where you left off. Uh, scholastic literacy, it is a roadmap for high quality instruction because it's built upon the idea there's a finite number of standards or concepts that kids have to be familiar with or master. And inside of it is an interpretation of every one of those standards. 100 teachers can read the same standard and come away with 100 different interpretations. Scholastic literacy is designed to say, to give teachers access to the interpretation, the intended interpretation of that universal literacy concept or standard that crosses state lines. So I would say, I would punctuate my response to your question by saying, scholastic literacy is not a game changer. It's not a game changer. It's actually a new category of resource. I'm so grateful to all of the experts who shared their insights today. Now that we understand the forces behind the decline at nine, we can better help young readers cultivate a love of reading that lasts. To learn more about the findings of our Kids and Family Reading Report, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash reading report. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, associate producer Mackenzie Cutrazula, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.